good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of BAM Sports and Entertainment. That's Boris and Matt Sports and Entertainment. And funny enough, those are our names. I'm Boris. And as always, I am joined by Matt. Bonjour. How's everybody doing out there? We hope you're doing well. Beautiful fall morning here in Tirana in the in the big smoke, Boris. How you feeling today, man? I'm feeling fantastic. Dude, dude, huge news. Huge news. Oh, I fell no. asleep oh, before midnight last night. Hey, Boris getting rest like a human being. There you go. How do you feel today? Feel like I, a new man? I, I woke up at like five. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, you know, that's something. Hit the ground running, yep. I guess. Yeah, you got to start somewhere, right? Um, but on this <laughs> week's episode of BAM, we have tons of sports and a little bit of wrestling chat. We will be talking about the MLB because it is September. It is when every game can count. We're going to be talking about the NL West, the AL East. Probably the two craziest divisions in baseball today. We're going to be having some Hall of Fame chat. We're going to be chatting some NFL because today, if you are listening on the day that it's released, which is September 9th, it is NFL day one, week one, long season. We'll be chatting a little bit about that. And then we're going to be rounding up the sports talk with some World Cup talk because the first round or the first group of games just wrapped up last night for CONCACAF and uh, yeah we're going to be talking CONCACAF because we are in Canada that's what we should care about CONCACAF and then we're going to be <laughs> in the wrestling portion of the show we're going to be talking the first ever episode of WWF Superstars which they debuted 30 years ago we're also going to be chatting ROH and then we have a huge pick contest to wrap up the show Yes, sir. 35 years ago, Boris, we're friggin' old men, buddy. Uh, September 8th, 1986, Superstars what, debut. What did I say, 30? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Taking five years <laughs> off my life already. Yeah, I'll take I'll take them five years back. No, I think we're doing well. I think we're in a good place here. But anyway, um, yeah, man, uh, lots to talk about. I think we'll also probably briefly touch on AEW All Out just because it was such a spectacular event. Maybe not even go match by match, but just broad just, general thoughts, right? Exactly. In general, in general. Yeah, we but, should probably talk about the rumors that Adam Cole... Uh, what his rumored WWE path was going to be. That'll be fun. We'll touch on that stuff during wrestling portion. I'm very excited for sports portion, especially baseball, man. The Jays are red hot. Dude, oh. a week ago, we were basically, well, a yeah. week ago, we didn't even talk sports. But two weeks ago, we were basically saying Jays are in a make or break week. Last week, they kind of floundered a bit at the start of the week, but the past Eight days or so, they have been probably the hottest team in baseball, beating some pretty damn good teams, having some amazingly fun games, especially last Friday against the A's, down 8-2, I wrote them off, I went to the bar, I wasn't even watching the game, next thing you know, 8-8, and then even then, I still wrote them off, I still said, they're not coming back from this. And they ended up winning with a walk-off. It's beautiful. Um, but yeah, no, the Jays the past week have just been amazing. It's been so much fun to watch. 
Yeah, absolutely. Such an entertaining team. The lineup, the young guns in the lineup, it's just so great. Flatty, what is he, 41 home runs now? It seems like a team that really gets along. They're really, like, enjoying each other's company. They have fun out there. It's just a fun team to watch. I I love watching the Toronto Blue Jays, man. They are a super fun team, and you have to remember how young they are too, right? Like, they're such a young team still. Reminds me of the Raptors from, like, you know, right, right before the Kawhi trade and then kind of in that Kawhi trade season, you know, it kind of reminds me of that, just the guys gelling and just such a fun team to watch with so many young stars. We don't have like the veteran Kawhi presence really. Although I guess you could argue Semyon, you could argue Springer. They're, they're not MVP level like Kawhi. Semyon's close though. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. He is, he is, um, he's having a hell of a year. It's just like, you know, at this point, what, can the Jays possibly do? Apparently, there's a report over the weekend where we tried resigning him, but that didn't work out. Um, and you know, he's yeah. still in a he is still in a wait and see. Like, let me finish the season. Let me get my numbers. Let's see what I'm worth. Absolutely, and it makes sense. Like he's going to test his value, but the Jays have uh, deep pockets, and I hope we kind of break the bank a little bit, even if it's like a two year deal and just like a slight overpay. I'm okay with that. Yeah, not my money. Like deep pockets, like but even then, what does that mean, right? Like, yeah, our owners are Rogers, but they're not putting every cent into the Blue Jays. No, but they should, Boris. Well, they should, right? Rather than putting it into Rogers Ignite, am I right? Well, hey, Rogers Ignite keeps us powered in the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Thanks, Rogers Ignite, for powering this podcast right now. In fact, but yep. uh, yeah, man. Um, I don't know. I'm. Uh, but, okay, I have I, a question I, for you. I have a question for you. Okay, so, uh, Simeon, we don't know what he is going to be worth. You know, we do. Can we, like, in my opinion, we got to do something. We got to try. We got to at least, you know, from an optics point of view, because management right now at the J, Shapiro and Atkins, no matter what they do, people are going to hate them. So everything is about optics with them, in my opinion. And you can correct me if you think I'm wrong. Um but, you know, if we don't sign Simeon, at the very least, we need to make it very publicly known how hard we tried to sign him. I think that's the key, right, for me. Um, and if we don't sign him, the optics are the important part. But if you had to sign one of these two players, who would you sign, Simeon or Robbie Ray? I can only get one? You can only get one. Because this is um, the reality. I think this is the choice that we're going to have this offseason. Well, in a vacuum, I think Marcus Simeon, I think he's quote unquote better. Not that Robbie Ray's not having a great year. Robbie Ray's doing really well as well. Um, Robbie Ray is slightly younger, but they're both around the same age. They, uh, Marcus Simeon, born September 17th, 1990, he's 30. Robbie Ray, born October 1st, 1991, he's 29. So he's like a year younger. Uh, the only the only thing here is we need the pitching far more than we need Simeon. As dope as Simeon is and as much as he has helped, we can get by without his presence in the lineup because we have so many other dynamic hitters. Like we can afford the loss in the lineup way more than we can afford the loss in the bullpen. So I think we need to sign Ray if we had to make that choice. Yep. I agree hundred percent with you. I think that that's like what's been haunting us over the past few seasons. It's been our pitching, right? I think that in terms of uh, fielding, I think we can make up for it. Like I'm not saying a Simeon is a, 
dime a dozen, right? But you can find an adequate middle infielder a lot easier than you can find a very adequate starting pitcher nowadays, in my opinion, especially someone who would want to play here, especially someone who, you know, who I think would kind of uh, benefit from our system and clearly has benefited from our system, right? And I think he recognizes yeah. this right now, he being Ray. So, you know, and we have people on the bench, you know, we have people like Espinal, we have people like uh, Biju, who we don't exactly know where they're going to play into the system. Um, you know, I'm not saying that it's a direct one-for-one -one replacement, but we have options at the very least. Having said that, you know, the numbers that Simeon are putting up is just ridiculous. Like, it's just absolutely unreal. Oh, yeah, man. He's, like, legitimately, like Montoyo said the other day, he's playing his way into MVP conversation. And that wasn't just manager speak. He legitimately is, like, sneaking his way into the back end of MVP conversation. It has to be Otani. And even then, probably Vlad's ahead of him on his own team. But still, like, Simeon's having an unbelievable season. But he's 30 years old. It's a contract year. I wouldn't want to sign him to like a poo holes deal, you know what I mean? But if we if we like broke the bank to sign both of these guys short term, I think that's the move. You know, and I think it benefits both players too. Although when you're around 30, I think you probably want that long-term bag. I think it could benefit both players. That's and, the thing, right? Like I that that's that's kind of where I'm kind of like iffy on is like and and clearly we're not in the mind of Simeon right now, but like what are you looking for? Are you looking for, you know, clear out victory right now or are you looking for that long term I'm getting up there in age contract? Yeah, I think it's going to be the latter and I I really the more I think about it and the more we have this conversation here, I do kind of think you're right. And I do think the Jays will select Robbie Ray over Semyon. So Semyon, he might leave, you know, yep. he, this might be the end. This might be the one and uh, the one and only run. But boy, what a run it's been, man. Yep. Yep. What a what a one night stand it's been. <laughs> Similar to ECW uh, 2005 or a couple <laughs> that I've had over. No, <laughs> 2006 wasn't bad but yeah um yeah i know so we'll see what's exactly is going on with the jays but right now what are we a seven game win streak longest in a couple years uh final game against the yankees tonight it's funny because yep. i was having some conversations with my uh well our good buddy kevin o'leary who wrote the theme thank you so much for that again um and the real we kevin saying, yep we were saying out of the seven games that we had left with the with the yankees at the start of the week we needed to win at least five of them yeah and it looks like we're uh you know you hit that goal so that's pretty good man um oh dude like the schedule coming up is gonna be interesting so after this jays game the jays or uh, sorry after this yankees game the jays have four in a row against the orioles a four game series then they go three against tampa three against minnesota three more against tampa three more against Minnesota and then the Yankees and the Orioles to close out the season. So yep. it's, a, there's a lot of Tampa Bay in there, man. And Tampa Bay is very good, but we also have a lot of Baltimore and we play the Yankees. Like you said, another time, another kick at that can. So. Yep. yep. And, 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 and those games against the Orioles, in my opinion, are vital. Like this is the thing about the Jays that have just gotten to me, especially this season. We can beat the Rays. We can beat the Sox. We can beat the Yankees. But the one yeah. team in our division that we should absolutely beat is seems to be the team that we, that we struggle against. 
Yes, exactly. And, and that, that sucks. But you know what? Baltimore, uh, I, we can we we can this is the time right this is the time and we have seven games I think it was remaining against them we can win like you said five or six of those seven pretty easy like it doesn't matter what's happened previously also Minnesota secretly is the worst team in the AL Central yep they're they're tied with Kansas City uh, at the bottom of that division so those are another couple per, perhaps gifts on the schedule that we can take advantage of so I'm actually kind of liking where the Blue Jays are it might come down to playing Tampa tough. 500 ball and then it's just going to come down to beating the Yankees man yeah exactly and and you know the last thing that we need is to allow the Orioles to play spoiler right I have a feeling that the Orioles are going to are going to play spoiler for someone in the AL East like looking at the rankings yeah. as of today uh September 9th um the Rays are number one 88-52, 629, winning percentage um, behind them is nine games behind. You have the Red Sox. Like, that's crazy when you take a look at that. And the Red Sox have 80 wins. Um, half a game behind them is the Yankees with 78 wins. And then a game and a half behind them are the Jays with 76 wins. Like, can you imagine? There's a possibility that we can end in fourth in this division with 90-plus wins. Yeah, it's happened before, man. Uh, we might have been third before the two wild yeah. card games, but I, we've missed the playoffs with 90 wins in this division before in my lifetime, for sure. Perhaps more than once, yeah. but uh, definitely at least once. But yeah, so the wild card in baseball now, instead of one team being the wild card, it's the top two teams play a head-to-head -head game. I actually kind of like that, although coming down to a single game after 162 is is a brutal beat. But anyway, so the wild card, the wild card standings right now are Boston leads. The Yankees are a half game behind Boston and Toronto is a game and a half. So uh, Toronto is a game and a half behind the Yankees. So they're, they're right there for that final spot. But it's like you said, they need to still make up some ground. They need to make up two games on the Yankees. Uh, to, to catch that spot. So it's very possible that we win 90 games and miss the playoffs, man. It, it could happen. That yeah. would suck. Ugh. That would be horrible. That would be just terrible. But at the same time, you know, again, I think that if you're a, and I hate saying this, but if you've, let me try to phrase this as best as humanly possible. If you've followed baseball for a very long time, you will understand that it is no like shitty thing and like the team doesn't suck or you know it's it's uh, you know not uh, Atkins and Shapiro didn't f up this season like you can't say that um but again like it, it's the reality is it's like just missing the playoffs is missing the playoffs right baseball still to this day is the hardest sport to get into the playoffs Absolutely, man. Yeah. One million percent. And it, it, in this division, it just it just weird how often it works out that so many teams peak at once. Like four of the best teams in the entire AL are in this division playing each other. And it's just crazy. But yeah, if you look at uh, the Jays run differential, they're closer to Tampa Bay and Houston than they are the rest of the wildcard teams and the teams that are looking to miss the playoffs. So I do think that the Jays are playing the type of baseball that they should be playing. They're winning the amount of games they should be winning right now. Obviously, like a seven-game winning streak is a little bit of an outlier, but this is the team. That, this is who we thought they were. The Jays are who we thought they were, Boris. That's exactly it. And oftentimes, the run differential, it's funny that you say that because I was going to bring this up. That stat is such an important stat after the 162 games. Like We still have a lot of baseball to play. Yeah, a couple weeks like, what, three, three and a half weeks left, but that run differential stat 
you know, is such an important stat to take a look at. And like you said, we're up there with like league leaders, right? So hopefully the stat of that stat me being meaningful is, uh, you know, comes true by the end of this uh, uh, season. Yes, there's basically a full month, almost exactly. The season ends October 3rd, which is pretty close to four weeks exactly. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're you know, a little, a little bit under a month. Yeah, exactly. So, we'll see what happens. But for those people who think, and this is why I love baseball, my two teams, I lived in L.A., I lived in, live in Toronto. My other team, my first team, are the Dodgers. And, of course... A division that is even crazier than the AL East is the NL West. Dude, a team can have 100 wins and not make the playoffs in the NL West. Absolutely insane. Like, yeah, I mean, the, uh, the San Francisco uh, Giants coming out of basically nowhere. Like, I guess I get that they're an up-and-down team, but I don't think anyone expected this no for them this season. No one this. pretty crazy. It, the, people were already giving the Padres the, the, the division. At the start of the season. Yeah, 100%. And, and kind of rightfully so. Like, Or the Dodgers, because obviously those two teams, on paper, I think those are the two best teams in baseball, full stop. Yeah. So, but if we take a look at the standings as they are today, this is just the NL West. The Giants with 90 wins, 643 winning percentage at first, two games behind them with 88 wins are the Dodgers. Um, and then you have the Padres 15 and a half behind the Giants with 74 wins. Crazy. Yeah, so the, the, the Padres are not the team that we were expecting, but the, the talent is such there that you, you know, they can get hot at any time. But yeah, what, what a race, and the Giants are crazy this year. Kevin Gossman, Cy Young contender. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's, it's, uh, it's unreal. And like, like, let's be honest. I'm I'm a realistic fan. The Dodgers have poured in even more money since the trade deadline into the team, and you know it, the the Giants are still putting up a fight. You know they they seem to be splitting so many games with one another. Like it's, if you actually take a look at the division, it's like it's it's like WWE booking right now. It's fifty fifty within the division, and then outside of the division and everyone else, they're cranking every other team. And Colorado has been relegated to managing San Francisco down to the ring. They're not allowed to be an actual full-time MLB franchise <laughs> yep, they, they, anymore. They got their manager's license, and and that's all they can do. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, man, it's a crazy year. But, yeah, you, you brought up a good point. Especially after the trade deadline acquisitions, we should acknowledge that L.A., the Dodgers, are by far right now the best team on paper. Like, yeah. safely, after adding Trey Turner and Scherzer in one fell swoop, my goodness, that that's an all-star team on paper. It's disgusting how how like on paper how good they are, but unfortunately the Dodgers have the second worst manager in all of baseball, only behind <laughs> Toronto's own Charlie Montoyo. Yeah, a couple a uh, couple bad ones. At least Montoyo, you know, I'd love to have a beer with him. Seems like a good guy. Not that uh, Roberts doesn't, but I see way more of Montoyo. You know, I, I'm kind of cheering for him. I'm kind of pulling for him, despite the fact that I know objectively he's not uh, that good. But here's the thing, though, um, and, and and I know we're jumping back and forth with uh, Jays and, and NL West talk, but, you know, I'm all on the remove Montoyo train. In fact, I built that train. I, you know, <laughs> went out, caught the pieces of steel and, 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 and created that freaking train. But, 
you know, I feel like his connection with the young stars like of Laddie, that's what's going to keep him on the team. That's, uh, yeah, I think that's interesting. Like, I, I think we've kind of touched on this before, but I think it will keep him on the team to a point, man. And that point, honestly, might be this season if they miss the playoffs. But if they go like 90, 95 wins and they just miss the playoffs because of circumstance, he'll, he'll probably get another year. So yep. you know what I, you know what I think? I, I think the barrier is 90, that nice round 90 number, no matter what. If he hits that, and they miss the playoffs, I bet he'll stick around just because, like you said, the players love him so much. But if they miss the playoffs and they don't even hit like an objectively huge number, like this is a this is a stepping stone. We're clearly taking the next step. I think he might. Yeah. You know, I, I think they, I, I think they might need a different uh, voice in the room, although the, the problem is the pitching staff. It's always been. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But. At the end of the day, right, you, you got to do the best with what you have. And Montoyo sometimes just doesn't go with his gut. He goes with analytics. And sometimes, more than often, like, why would you remove Ryu when he's at 80-something pitches in the sixth inning and just, like, acing it? Right? Like, yeah, man, yeah. I, I I think so many managerial decisions come down to like front office uh, manipulation, like numbers and such. Like, I don't think the managers do that much, but I do think like there are certain uh, defensive substitutions that could be made. There are certain like pitching uh, scenarios. I, I feel like he leaves certain guys in too long or left certain guys in too long. Uh he relied on Tyler Chatwood way too much. There are certain things that he does like that are his decision clearly that I think are poor yeah. objectively. Yeah. But he's such a good, he's such like a good people person and the guys seem to love him so much that I, I the, the problem, the main problem is not Montoya, although, uh, Montoya, although you could argue he is a problem. Yeah. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens this season. Personally, if the you know, I want the Jays to at least get ninety wins because back in the beginning of the season, when Jason Agnew and I were on the midweek rockout talking about the Jays, I said ninety wins. A lot of people said I was crazy. Nice. Oh, well, bring it on. I hope I hope we get it. But yeah, we should make the playoffs at ninety wins. I think. I do think the Red Sox and Yankees are cooling off, and one of them will fall below that plateau, buddy. Yeah. Uh, well, do you want to quickly talk about the Hall of Fame yeah, before we get out of baseball? Exactly. That I was exactly going to segue into the Hall of Fame. So yesterday was the official Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I guess A Rod was the main guy on that uh, on that list. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, Jeets. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jeets. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but but no, the the, the boy for all of us. Larry Walker. Exactly. SpongeBob pin and all Larry freaking Walker. <laughs> Congratulations, good old Canadian boy. So happy to see that he got in. Um, you know, I was I was a little I was uh, I, I was confident. I remember 2 years ago watching Tim and Sid um, you know, because they were covering this like direct. Um, I was I was confident that he would get in, but you know, you never know with 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 the MLB um, reporters, you just never know how they're going to vote. 
And it was his last year of eligibility, man. So the groundswell has been coming, but it had to happen this year because, yeah, with the MLB rules, like people are only eligible for so long on the ballot. Right. So, man, uh, it was it was a true underdog story for the Canadian boy, Larry Walker. But I love Larry Walker. He is the best one of the best players on Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball for Nintendo 64 man rakes speed defense i've always loved larry walker just uh, you know a good canadian lad playing in colorado with those purple jerseys how could you not love him yeah and it, it's crazy because you forget how good of a player he actually was right like it's it's he was so good especially for his time i think that like oh man if again can you imagine if the expos were able to keep even half the players that they brought up oh. through their system such a tragedy. The, the 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 real Montreal screw job was the MLB strike in nineteen ninety-four, <laughs> Boris. It's a real Montreal screw job, buddy. Yep. Yep. But even then the Expos screwed the Expos. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's so good. It's true. One hundred thousand percent true. Pedro gone. Randy gone. For you know, if if they would have had those level of prospects like today Montreal would still be a franchise because I feel like someone would be able to manage that a little better. They would have traded them right for the proper amount of prospects back. I, also, I think Montreal would have done. You know what? I also feel, I also feel like if they had the right people in charge, the expos could have kind of been like the, the rays of, of the nineties, right? Like, Tell me how the Rays are the Rays. How are they in first every season? How are they in contention every single season with literally losing their best players every few years? Like, you know, not that Snell makes a team, but, you know, that that's a huge loss. And you look if you look at their pitching, it's as if he's still there, if not they're better without him. It's disgusting how good the Rays are. And then you look at their attendance and it's like, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago they got the lowest attendance ever without COVID restrictions. That was like under 5K. Oh, man. Yeah, that's really sad. Hopefully we live in a world, Boris, where within the next five to ten years, the Tampa Bay Rays move to Montreal and become the Expos. And the Arizona Coyotes in the NHL move to Quebec City and become the Nordiques 2.0. Let's yep. run them both back, buddy. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. All right, day one, week one, NFL season. Dude, here we are, longest yes. season ever. Let, like, okay, before we talk about the actual season itself, let's talk about this. Uh, how do you feel about the extra game? I kind of scummy. It's got it kind of hurts. Uh, you know, it, it's just dumb. It, it's clearly they're they're building to eighteen. Yeah, I think because seventeen is such a weird like number. But the sixteen games was like a tradition for so long. And it worked out so well with 32 teams in the NFL, 16 games. I just like it was so nice. I think they're just going to continue to add more and more and more games to this because it's such a huge money making industry. Boris. How could how could they not? Right? When content rules, when the WWE can make a billion dollars over five years. Right. Like, what do you imagine the NFL can do in their with their con TV contracts and even more so their streaming contracts? You split up TV and streaming. You can rake in billions of dollars each. Yeah, exactly, man. So, yeah, the NFL is going to continue doing this. I understand why, but it is scummy. This is the hardest, uh, most physical sport in Look. the world. People get hurt, like, dangerously injured, like, life-altering injuries yeah. literally every week. So, man, it's, it, it's like, intense. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's very scummy. But Look, you knew at, that the NFL— 
and their owners, including Jackson's owner, <clears throat> did, don't care about the players when they added the Thursday game. That Thursday game was the scummiest thing that they could have done. Like, especially for the teams that play Sunday, Thursday. Like, what the hell is that type of thing, right? What's that raw deal? And I think we're going to see more of this. I honestly think we're going to start, as we move into 18 games, we are going to see a Saturday schedule start to happen regularly. Yeah, the only thing that was hurting that previously was the NCAA college football. And I do think... That it's going to be weird with with college football, but NCAA sports are taking a massive hit yep. over the next few years, and college football is going to undergo a massive restructuring itself. So we don't even know what college football is going to look like in the next five to ten years. Now there will always be an NFL development system, and I I assume it's going to be the NCAA in some form for the next two decades at least, probably. You know, but. Uh, Man, it's really hard to say, like, if college football is just going to dominate Saturdays in perpetuity. I don't think that's the case. I don't think case. so. I think that's going to change 100%. Like, it's kind of sad, though, because, like, traditionally we had Friday Night Lights, high school football Friday, college Saturday, and then the, the pros on the Sunday, right? Um, but now, because of TV, because of payments, because of God, so many reasons why, um, you know, it's just, it's it's things are changing. And, Matt, what would you think is the number one thing that's changing college football? Like, why are we saying that in the next like couple especially decade or so it's going to change a lot like what do you think has changed the most well the big thing was the uh the college athletes now being able to make money off their names and likenesses right that's the huge thing that's that's going to lead to hopefully video games and all these things coming back and athletes being able to sell their jerseys and all this stuff but it could also lead to crippling a lot of the small time schools it could also lead to a lot of like it could become, I don't know, it's really up up in the air what could happen now from this point forward. Like, that's a complete and total game changer. Yep. So it's just a complete reshuffling of the deck, and it's really hard to say what does happen to the NCAA. I think, like, college basketball being significantly less popular than college football is in a lot of trouble. Yeah, 100%. College, college football, I think, lasts forever. And college basketball will too, but it might be a lot closer to how college basketball looked in the 1960s and 50s than it looked in like the heyday of like the 80s with like Georgetown and like, you know, even the 70s and like the the huge UCLA teams. Boris, you probably know about them. Yep. Yep. Oh, Anyways, sadly. yeah. <laughs> It's going to be very interesting to see what happens to football anyway. But one point that I do want to make is we can't sit here in too much judgment because we both love football and we we will both eat this season up with a spoon. You know what I mean? I'm going to be watching tonight. So it's not like I could be like, like the NFL's evil. Although I do kind of think that they're scummy and I do kind of think that they're evil. I'm going to be watching every Thursday. I'm going to be watching every sa uh, Sunday. And if they do Saturday games, I'm going to watch them too. Yep, exactly. Um, so we'll see what happens with the NFL and the NCAA and all that. And we are going to move the, the other football football. And that is because we are in the middle of, of World Cup qualifying all around the world. Everyone talks about UEFA because that's where the big boys play, it seems. A lot of people talk about Conan Bowl because that's the South American teams, your Argentinas, your Brazil. We're going to talk about a little bit of a CONCACAF. That is where Canada and the U.S. play. Um, so essentially, the way that the qualifying works right now is there are eight teams. And you, it's a round robin. And the top three make it into the World Cup. Fourth place goes into uh, like a, another pool. 
So after the first set of games, which is three games, number one is Mexico with seven points, Canada at number two with five points, and then the USA at number three with five points. Dude, this is huge for Canada. The fact that we were able to get a road uh, tie against the U.S. in the U.S., hence the road tie, um, that that honestly could give us the key into making the World Cup in 2022. Uh, that's amazing. Definitely glad to hear that. Yeah, came, coming off a big win last night over uh, El Salvador. Canada's looking pretty good right now. Yeah. Didn't even have Davies for that game. Exactly. Our our, our young wonderkind uh, uh, Davies was injured against the U.S., so they sent them back to Germany to get evaluated and to, hear, and to heal. So hopefully he'll be back for the next round of games, which I believe is in November. But, uh, yeah, you know, overall, we did not do too bad against uh, Honduras, El Salvador, and the U.S. Five points out of a possible nine. Let's freaking do it. Let's freaking take it. Uh, um, you know, I'm super like the game that I'm looking forward to the most is against Mexico. Um, you know, it's, it's that it's Mexico is Mexico. I really want, I can't wait for that. And obviously the return um, against the U.S. because it is essentially a one away game, one road road game, one home game against these seven teams. So we'll see what happens. But. You know, right now, as it stands, Canada is in second. As it stands, we're making the World Cup in Qatar. First time since 1986 that we could get into the World Cup. And I think if we do get into the World Cup in 2022, it'll really help us to get the automatic entry for 2026 when Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. host the World Cup. Yeah, it'll be nice to make back-to-back tournaments because, yeah, we're sneaking in the back door in 2026, like you said. But uh, yeah, man, I, I'm uh, I'm very enthused for where they're at. And like you said, like without Alfonso Davies, we're still cranking the teams that we should be cranking. And that's very it's a very good sign. We seem to be a complete team, seem to be on the right track. And we just got to, you know, got to keep firing. It'll be interesting. You said the next round's in November, right? Yep. Another three games set in November. I don't have who we're facing in front of me, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see um, who how how that fares. And like you know, Canada, our team is so young, and the one number one thing that for me is we said it about the Jays, and it's more so important with Canada. We got to beat the teams that we should beat. Yeah, a hundred thousand percent, man. Uh, yeah. So I just uh, I was trying to load it up. Do you know the exact rules? Like how many teams? Because there's a certain amount of teams that automatically qualify, and then I think it's the fourth place team. I yep. think the top three teams in yep. Concacaf qualify, and the fourth place team has to play the winner of the Oceania yep. League, right? Yep, that's what I set a, a top so right now it's a top three mexico canada u.s right now as it stands panama number four would face in right. a in a playoff series against the oceania do you know who it would be currently sorry just yeah just no i don't know who it would be and dot the eyes no, no I, not right now i think that they've just started their qualifying so i don't know who it would be Gotcha. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, they all start at, at different times. Eh? Yeah. The OFC, I guess, with, with fewer teams, we kind of put that off till the end, right? Yep, exactly. That's exactly it. So we'll see. Yeah, so actually, yeah, I'm ju- I just loaded this up. It looks like the OFC has not even started yeah. yet. They haven't even officially named dates yet. Yep, exactly. That's that's what I was kind of gathering. I know UEFA is underway. I know that uh, Conan Bowl is underway. So that's South America and CONCACAF just because there's so many games, right? Like <laughs> it's it's 14 games. 
Yes, gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. That yeah, makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry to. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I just wanted to, you know, really gotta, put the we finer. We got cross T's dot eyes on this show. Yes, sir. Yes, All sir. right. All right. Now let's talk about my fantasy football team for the next three hours. Starting with no, I'm just kidding. But I am going to be talking a lot about Kyler Murray this year. Kyle Pitts, like I said, Boris, I have a lot of young guns on this fantasy team. It's a 16-team uh, fantasy league, deep, deep benches, 17-man rosters. So I had to, I had to take a lot of lottery tickets in this draft. But I'm liking where, uh, I'm liking where the teams are at. And before we uh, get out of sports talk, should we talk about the Dolphins a little bit? Dolphins are looking pretty sneaky. They're looking sneaky. I think they're I think they're going to be the surprise of the entire NFL, not just the AFC East. I think they're going to be surprising a lot of people. Yeah. I do think so. They can they can challenge Buffalo. Although Buffalo is the best team in this division on paper by far, I think they can challenge Buffalo. So yeah, myself and uh, my roommate Fleetwood Brown, we usually uh, we do written NFL picks. We've done that for the last couple of years over at uh, my website sportsfap.com. Uh, we're going to be doing picks of some kind. I'm not sure if we're going to be writing out every NFL game pick this year. We might try to do like a a mini podcast or a mini YouTube, but yeah. Uh, if you want to hear more NFL talk out of us, we do some kind of, we, we last couple of years, we've done like a jokey article, like picking the games and you know what? We're actually pretty good at it. Fleetwood's pretty dang good. He he's uh, he knows his football big time kicks my ass in the picks, but I, I, I finished, I finished all right as well. Yep. All right, there we go. Let's move on to the some some wrestling, the main event, as some people would say. Um, we are going to be talking some ROH. We're going to be talking some All Out. We're going to be talking some WWF superstars and pick contests. So let's start with some ROH. This is the go-home show before Death Before Dishonor, which is this Sunday. I will be covering that on slamwrestling.net we will be talking about that on bam next week um so let's uh let's get right into it so this this episode featured the two semifinal matches for the women's championship tournament and it featured a faction versus faction match you, you like how i said I like that it. you like that uh, very good right. <laughs> well done sir <laughs> All right, so uh, the first semifinal match had Miranda Elise versus Trisha Dora. Um, Chelsea Green did go on to commentary. Elise just continued, uh, just beat down Adora. It was crazy. Um, you know, this was 100% David versus Goliath. Um, at the end of the match, uh, Miranda Elise uh, was able to use her speed, get a lot of kicks in. Uh, she was able to get her Miranda's rights crossface. Um, this was too much for Adora, who ended up submitting after about 30 seconds. So your winner. And moving on to the finals, Miranda Elise at 12 minutes 16 seconds honestly there was a commercial break in the middle of this kind of ruined the flow of the match unfortunately you know the way that we rate matches here on bam it is the full package the lex luger of rating systems <laughs> uh so yeah you know uh, i unfortunately have to only mendoza line this match because of that commercial break uh so it's gonna get two and a half handshakes out of five it makes sense, man. Yeah, sometimes a commercial will really hurt a match. And ROH's commercial breaks tend to be really long, I yes. find. Like, 
very long and grating, and you're going to see at least one Ric Flair promo, perhaps one L.A. Knight promo, yep. because they're they're selling cars, you see. Yep. You see, L.A. Knight, I told you he was a car salesman. Um, but it's, it's it's yeah, it's just, yeah, it is what it is, unfortunately. St. Clair Broadcasting needs their monies. Um, so match number two was the second semifinal match, which saw Roxy, the prodigy, versus Angelina Love, the veteran. This match was honestly fantastic. Um, and again, Roxy was able to get her armbar, made Love submit, this match was great. This match was fun. This match was essentially Love being the cocky veteran and Roxy being that just like boisterous rookie who wants to prove to everyone why she is the Connor McDavid of ROH. But again, six minutes, 44 seconds, Roxy won via submission. They didn't give this match enough time. Um... I'm going to have to Mendoza line this yet again. Two and a half handshakes out of five. So good match that didn't get enough time is your overall reaction here. That's uh, fair enough, man. That's kind of disappointing. But you know what? They're saving Roxy's big performance, I imagine, for the pay-per-view, right? So, All right. So the first match was 12 minutes. The second match was six minutes. Remember this. All right. All right. Main event time. Faction versus Faction. The Faction being Shane Taylor Promotions, Shane Taylor, Moses, Khan, O'Shea, Edwards. Against La Faction Ingobernable, Rush, Dragon Lee, Kenny King, and Bestia del Ring. Um, So this match was essentially a shit ton of brawling, shit ton of pandemonium. Um, the main attraction was Rush and and uh, Shane Taylor. Those two really were the headline of this match. Um, the end of the match saw Besta Del Ring distract the referee as Kenny King low-blowed Shane Taylor, got the pinfall at 7 minutes and 28 seconds. 7 minutes and 28 seconds, dang. Yep. Yep. So again, like I understand you're teasing a lot of stuff, but you're not even giving us a, something worthwhile to watch on TV. That was my issue. So again, I'm going to have to Mendoza line this at two and a half handshakes. But the shining star, the silver lining for me was the fact that we do see the potential for a rush Shane Taylor program coming out of this. Um, and again, I know that this match was kind of just set up for a lot of other stuff, and this TV was overall the main attraction were the two semifinal matches for Death Before Dishonor, which is this Sunday, September 12th, on pay-per-view. Um, can I run down? Well, we're going to run down the card later, right? So, Well, I was going to say, do you want to just do the pick contest and do it now because we're talking Ring of Honor? We yeah. might as well. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, so I'll quickly talk about the previous pick contest. We did the two NWA shows. Boris, you went seven and eight overall after a really strong NWA in power. Kind of shot the bed on 73 a little bit. But these things happen. I went nine and six overall. So uh, after both going five and oh on NXT TakeOver 36, our current records are I am 14 and six. And Boris, you are two games behind at 12 and eight. So... Let's now pick Death Before Dishonor 28, I believe it is. Yep. Starting with, on the pre-show, the Honor Rumble. Boris, a 15-man Royal Rumble for an ROH world title match on the pre-show. We have Dan Housen 
versus Beer City Bruiser versus Dak Draper versus Ray Oris versus Brian Johnson versus Joe Keys versus Brian Milonis versus Sledge versus Silas Young versus PJ Black and five more to be announced. So do you think it's going to be a TBA? And if so, who? And if not, who? Right. So I am going to be saying this just for the simple fact that ROH needs to capitalize on this guy ASAP. And that is Dan Housen. Dan Housen, buddy. I have a Dan Housen t-shirt. I'm not wearing it, but you know that I'm wildly for that pick, buddy. Love that Dan Housen. The reality go, is that it's going to probably be someone like a Flip Gordon or EC3. Good call. Uh, Flip Gordon is a good call. I think EC3 is in the in the elimination match. Although that would be kind of fun if a heel came in and won this thing and got a title match anyway. But I think it's going to be Jonah Rock. I believe his 30-day no-compete has just come up. He's going to show up somewhere. I think it's a good place to debut him. ROH world title shot off the hop for Jonah Rock. I think he's going to win the former colossal Bronson Reed. Yep. Yeah. Let's 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 go with it. I thought you were gonna say something stupid like Leon Ruff. <laughs> How dare you? How very dare, good sir. All right, let's move on to the uh women's tournament final. That's Miranda Alize versus Roxy. Honestly, Roxy has to take this. She has to. The prodigy, the Connor McDavid has to take this million percent agree like they're telling that story i guess they could like they could think that the chase is more important but i think she has to win off the hop to to properly tell the story that she's lebron james she has to win off the hop to properly tell the story to give this belt some actual credibility off the get-go and then you know that here's the thing chelsea green is going to probably be the first contender right and i'm assuming that if you're going to want the the face to win so roxy Million percent agree. I, I think you're uh, you hit the nail on the head there, buddy. All right, moving on. We're going uh, singles match: Dalton Castle versus Eli Isom. Dalton. Dalton, off the hog, just like that, spitting hot fire. I think it's going to be Isom, the younger guy. He needs the win more. I think he's going to beat Dalton Castle. I think uh, you're right, but pretty- Dalton. <laughs> All right, buddy. I love me some Dalton Castle. He's he's awesome. He's great. He's always been one of the best characters on the independent scene. Love that guy. Uh, all right, next tag team match: Boris, your boy, Matt Taven, and you're gonna your say that. boy. <laughs> your eyes just rolled into the back of your skull. Your boy Matt Taven and your boy Mike Bennett versus the Briscoe brothers, Jay and Mark. Here's the thing. Unfortunately, unfortunately. Uh, OGK, as they're being called, uh, the yes. original kingdom, Matt Taven and Mike Bennett. I think they're going to try to um, raise these guys, and who better for them to beat than, you know, the legendary Briscoes. So I'm going to have to go with the original kingdom. Uh, I'm uh, sadly, I think you're right, but I'm going to do what you just did. I, I refuse to pick it. <laughs> I'm picking with my heart, not my head. I'm going Briscoes. <laughs> you're right, but I'm still picking the Briscoes. <laughs> All right, next we have a six-man tag team match. It is uh, Violence Unlimited, Homicide, Chris Dickinson, and Tony Deppin. What a fun, eclectic team. Versus another fun, eclectic team of John Walters, LSG, and Lee Moriarty. Uh, Violence Unlimited. Yeah, 
going with Violence Unlimited as well. I think they will be the next challengers for the six-man tag team titles. Yep. Next, the six-man tag team titles, which is Shane Taylor Promotions, Jasper Moses and Shane Taylor versus La Faxion, which is going to be Dragon Lee, Bestia Del Ring, and Kenny King, and that is for the ROH six-man tag team titles. Considering what we just talked about, considering the ending of that match, I'm going to have to say Shane Taylor Promotions are winning. Interesting. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I just think it's time to switch these titles. So I'm going to say Faxion. You know, it's good to defer on a couple picks here and there too, buddy. But I think you might be you might be bang on. I just do think it's time to switch these titles. So we're going to go Faxion. All right. Next up, the NXT Invitational match unofficially. <laughs> Jake Atlas versus Taylor Rust. <laughs> oh, I love that. Jake Atlas is winning this. Yeah, million percent. Taylor Rust is not there to uh, be a hardcore pushed act. I think he's there to put over Jake Atlas in a match that they've probably had in the Performance Center a half dozen times at least. Yeah, the NXT Invitational. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next up, this match I'm very excited for. For the pure title, John Gresham champion versus Josh Woods, huge ass kicker. I don't see them taking the title off of Gresham. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're right, although they may, be just because Gresham's had it for so long, but he's still delivering. He's so good. He could keep it for another six months And they keep telling the story of how he beats everyone differently in like some sort of different way, right? Like, I feel like once he repeats something, like a repeat an ending, that's when they're going to take it away for the next time. Yeah, I can see that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, as soon as he runs out of tricks in yeah, his bag. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I like where your head's at, Boris. I think that's really smart. All right, coming up next, we have, for the ROH title, the main event. It's a fatal four-way. Bandito, your champion, versus Brody King, Demonic Flamita, and EC3. Yeah, I don't see them taking off Bandito. He just won it. This is his first defense. Really, we've seen him like once or twice on TV, so Bandito is taking this. Yeah, I million percent agree. It's way too early to take it off this guy. If you want to actually make a main event world title star, they kind of put the belt on Bandito a little early, so they can't take it off him quick already. You know, like he's got to hold this belt for like six months a year at least. So I one million percent agree. It's going to be a spectacular match that Bandito wins. So again, going into this show, I am 14 and six. Boris, you're 12 and eight, and we have nine matches here. So... We've deferred on a couple. We're, we're, we're going to see. It's going to be an interesting show. All right. Is it time for the main event of the main event? Is it time for Superstars? Yeah. The, yeah. You know Do you what? want to talk all be- out? Let's talk all out before we go to the main event. Let's talk all out. Possibly the best pay-per-view in the modern era of wrestling. Possibly the best pay-per-view since WrestleMania 17. Possibly the best pay-per-view that we're going to watch in a very long time. And I got to say, kudos to AEW for actually delivering on a pay-per-view like end to end. It was so good. Fun show. Um, you know, and, and maybe the ending was a little too much with all the surprises, but I feel like it just needed to happen. Disagree that it was too much. Although I, I, I guess I can understand why somebody would think that I don't, I do not think that I think it was the perfect amount of much, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a lot, but it was, it was supposed to be a huge, like we've arrived moment. AEW is kind of 
a little bit like you could say like WCW 1996. I almost think it's kind of like WWF 1984. I think they're gearing up to go national, to go worldwide, Boris, and they're they're getting the best talent they could possibly find around the world. It's just that we don't have Hulk Hogan's and Roddy Piper's and even like, you know, like Macho Man Randy Savage's. We don't have those level of bombastic stars just chilling on the indies and on the territories. But we do have some stars and they, they're signing up. It's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. It's, it is exciting times overall for uh, for AEW. Um, but yeah, what was your match of the night? Definitely the cage match. But I thought I thought going over the show, I rewatched the main event too. I thought there were four four-star matches on this show. I thought uh, the cage match was like four and a half, like cage all-time match? classic stuff. Funny that you say that. The cage match was my least liked match of the night. I, you, I, I, I can see that you'd think that. Yeah, it, with your uh, taste of wrestling sometimes, I can see that. Yeah. I think it was, it was a little cheesy. It was a little too choreographed for like uh, the blood feud. And I can see why that would completely ruin it for you. But, but to me, that's just wrestling in 2021. That's, yeah, but, yeah, sure. So wrestling in 2021 is just me waiting for the next move. <laughs> I think I, I think they, they sold me on the fight of it all. But there were moments where I was like, okay, like the double pile driver while we longingly stare into each other's eyes took me out of the match. The thumbtack shoe and then Matt Jackson licking the thumbtack shoe, thus completely killing the gimmick. That was as bad as Jake Roberts putting his hand through the blindfold in WrestleMania 7. Yeah. That was what that was. So like, yeah, man, there was she, but it was still like, in terms of the action, one of the all-time classic uh, yeah. 2v2 cage matches at least. It yeah. was the best 2v2 cage match I've ever seen. I wouldn't go any further than that. It wasn't a five-star cage match. There have been the first War Games, the first Hell in the Cell. Uh, there are Owen. numerous five-star cage Brett matches. Brett Owen? Numerous five-star cage matches. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, yeah, so yeah, I thought four and a half. Uh, I would also say uh, the main event, four stars. The women's title match, best Britt Baker match that she's had in her entire career, except for the Thunder Rosa match. And I also thought the MJF Chris Jericho match was absolutely perfect. Exactly what it needed to be. Four and a quarter I gave that. I think I'm the only person who rated it that high. No. But it worked for me on that day, man. It. it really did. You know, it's kind of that funny because great. that was probably one of the best WWF matches I've ever seen. <laughs> you know exactly what I mean. That's a great way to put it. But, hey, it stood out. On that AEW card, they needed uh, a sports entertainment match. That match thoroughly sports entertained me. But, yeah, man, the ending to that show was awesome. Adam Cole's promo on Dynamite on Tony Schiavone being a bully dickhead was awesome. I thought uh, I, I really love where AEW's at right now. Super excited. It looks like the Arthur Ashe show is going to have uh, Danielson versus, Punk, or Danielson versus uh, Omega as the main event. It's going to have Miro versus Eddie for the title. It's going to be a great show. Yeah, Punk versus have, Starks or Hobbs. Yeah, it's going to also have freaking Cody coming back. Your boy. Isn't it, you know, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that I'm enjoying and the world seems to be enjoying AEW so much when a certain someone someone's away? <laughs> Rude. But yes, it is. It is worth noting. But yeah, man, I, I thought uh, I thought it was a dynamite show. Um, the, the only problem, one problem with it is it was, uh, it's like 
the by the time the main event went on, I didn't realize how good that match was until I watched it a second time because I was like exhausted. You know, there was just so much that happened. I just didn't have any attention span left. And perhaps that's my own failing. That's not AEW's fault. But by the time that main event rolled around watching the show live, it didn't land in my brain anymore how good that match was. I had to watch it back a second time. And it was like, oh, this was inarguably a great wrestling match. I personally, my favorite match was the main event. Um, You know, I think that overall i think they told the best story i think that it was the best wrestling and captivated me the most it was the most of my style and i really enjoyed it the most um that match i would honestly rate four and a half stars if we really had to had to go and and rate these matches right um cm punk darby allen was good uh but uh i don't know you know it it was a very good match but again i just feel like there was just so much on this card that unfortunately that match kind of just uh, fell in the middle of a bunch of other great matches it was pretty much exactly what i expected the punk derby match it was it was pretty much bang on exactly what i expected which was so when i watched it, it was like oh it was, it was very good i'm i'm pumped for punk to be back but it wasn't like oh that was great oh you know it was just like oh, it was very good good job I'm still indifferent about Punk being back, to be honest. Like, it's been how long? Like, I'm I'm over him. I'm I'm done. Like, ah, it's great. I'm not fast. okay. I don't mean that in the negative way. It's just like it's cool that he's back, and I'm gonna watch him. And yeah, it's you know, but it's not like earth shattering for me. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's time. It's time now to do things. It's yes. time now to be a regular. Like, if you're gonna be a regular wrestler, that workhorse guy on every show, that number one baby face, it's time to be that. Yeah. Question. Yes. Dynamite. Are there too many promos and interview segments on Dynamite? Yeah, Tony Khan needs help. He needs help. Period. Full stop. He's going to burn himself out. It just he's got so much on the go in his real life and I get wanting to like micromanage and I get like trusting yourself and wanting to be the man. But like yeah, he needs help. The fact that they cut off Kaza Nina Ray is oh like God. fucking it's like inexcusable. It's like, it's not, it's honestly, man, it's like kind of proof that Tony Khan doesn't watch much New Japan. It's not a mistake that someone would make if they have seen more than three New Japan shows. You, have you know s- what I mean? You need to go on Facebook. These Japanese wrestling Facebook groups who shit on American wrestling, like to begin with, um, they're giving AEW a chance because of the forbidden door, but holy shit. They just like turned on AEW. Like AEW is the biggest heel right now because of that. Yeah, yeah, man. It's weird because I think like uh And also well, the fact that the match not- was what, ten minutes and Mox pretty Eight. much clean house. Eight minutes with the commercial and they went home early, it looked like, because Suzuki got busted open hard way around his yeah. eye and it looked really fucking nasty. But uh, that, that was just my interpretation. I don't know if that's a hundred percent true, but that's what it looked like to me, right? Um but yeah, man. Oh man, they need they need to do less on every dynamite. They need to like write out Tony Khan needs to write out the dynamite that he thinks is good and then cut one or two things. Full stop. Just kill your babies. Just Not, cut one or two things and yeah. add it to the main event or just have more time to play with because mm-hmm. the main events of these shows consistently get fucked. And yep. this was the worst example of a fucked over main event for yep. time constraints because they had to squeeze in what a Dan Lambert promo that uh, kind of it was good, but it it was no new information. The uh, they could have gone home really much earlier in the uh, Dante Martin Hobbs match because Hobbs got rocked in that. The Ruby Riot Jamie Hader match, God bless him, they, that match didn't need to be on Dynamite. They could have just done the Ruby Soho promo. 
Um, yeah, man, there was a lot of things that were, there's a lot of easy cuts, easy yeah. cuts on this show. Here's the thing. I don't want to nitpick too much on AEW right now, especially me. Um, but, you know, they, they're they trying to do way too much all at once. You have this amazing roster. And what have we been saying for so many weeks? And it's something that we're not seeing. You can rest people week over week. Not everyone needs to show up. CM Punk doesn't always need a promo. Sting doesn't always need a promo. Um, you know, the elite don't always need to be scumbag morons and have a promo that drags and drags and drags. Yeah, I I can't really argue that at all, man. I kind of see where your head's at on that you know? one. But uh, I do think I do think there's wisdom in having one top heel and baby face who show up every single week, but you can of still course. rotate that position. You can still rotate that position. Of course. That's the thing, right? Like I it just it just they're they're trying to do too much and I understand right now that like they're just trying to run with it. But I feel like after in a maybe here's the thing also, I think if they cut more we would have been complaining where was the 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 follow-up after an amazing pay-per-view yeah maybe it depends though like they could have cut dan lambert and nobody would have said hey where's dan lambert this week like they would have just assumed i think that's stupid to begin with like you don't need that you don't need that on the show right like in my opinion i think that's like yeah they don't especially because he didn't challenge anybody. He didn't say anything new. He just cut the same promo. He always cuts. I agree. Anyway, yeah, so AEW's in a good spot, minus the fact that they're trying to cram way too much in every dynamite. Yep. Agreed. All right. Well, that's that. This is time for Superstars. Right. Superstar to the talk. main event. All right. 35 years ago, uh, this Labor Day, September 6th, 1986, from Providence, Rhode Island, Boris, we got the first episode of WWF Superstars of Wrestling. Do we know when it was recorded? I, I'm sure I could find that real quick. Maybe if, yeah, if you want to, if, at some point you'll start talking and I'll uh, look that up. Or if you want to look that up right now. Uh, but yeah. It was definitely pre-recorded, uh, but yeah, it was it was a heck of an interesting show, man. Definitely, you saw exactly what Superstars was gonna be. You saw a lot of craziness, and uh, yeah, some like licensed songs, Boris, or perhaps just stolen songs because it was the '80s. But yeah, it was a different time, man, a different time. So uh, the the hosts and commentators on this show are Bruno Sammartino, Jesse Ventura. And Vince McMahon, a motley trio if I've ever seen one, uh, wearing the old school red blazers. Just awesome. Uh, In action tonight will be the debut of Coco Beware. I believe the debut of the Rougeau brothers, the return of the Ugandan headhunter Kamala. They will be... uh, there will be a Heart Foundation match on the card. Actually, they're they're going to be opposite the debuting Coco Beware and the main event of this superstars: Big John Stud and King Kong Bundy versus Corporal Kirchner and S.D. Jones. By God! Right, that's funny. <laughs> All right, so we uh, we also see that there's going to be an episode of The Flower Shop featuring adorable Adrian Adonis and the Federettes make their debut and the Federettes were basically ring girls for WWF. They would, you know, take the wrestlers gear, like their, uh, uh, you know, robes and such title belts and uh, basically generic ring girls. 
So, yeah, Boris, how are you feeling about the uh, Vince McMahon, Bruno, Jesse Ventura commentary trio? Specifically Bruno on commentary. <laughs> he was so... Uh, mon- not uh, not even monotone, but it just felt like he was just like, um, uh, just trying to present a sport, not really giving it much in terms of the entertainment part. Um, it just kind of felt like he was more interested in talking about wrestling than anything else. Um, and 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 he's just pure business. It was interesting because you had Vince McMahon telling the WWF stories. You had Jesse Ventura being his classic entertaining heel self. And you have Bruno Sammartino doing like 1970s pro wrestling commentary. Yep, exactly. It's, it's quite it's quite an interesting trio. I kind of think it works. Maybe it's just compared to the some of the shit bags we see on commentary today. But I actually like this commentary trio. It wasn't the worst. It wasn't the worst. I'll say that. It's not uh, Heenan Monsoon, right? It's not Heenan Monsoon and uh, Ventura. But, like, this worked for its time, in my opinion. Hell, fuck, this works for now, to be honest. But um, the only person that kind of just stood out in kind of like a iffy way was San Martino. But that's just like, you know, what what else? Like, are you shocked? Yeah, uh, no, <laughs> not not a not at all but yeah so superstars hit their formula right away a bunch of squash matches maybe one semi-competitive main event and a ton of crazy wacky promos we're gonna get into all of it so the show starts jobbers jabronis terry gibbs and roger kirby versus the babyface tag team of ricky the dragon steamboat and cv affy cv affy one of two guys who were in featured roles on the show that i have zero memory of same, same. As soon as I saw him, I'm like, who the hell is this person? Also, this is a great trivia question. Got to remember this one. What the first Superstars match ever was. Exactly. That's a very interesting one. Terry Gibbs and Roger Kirby versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and C.V. Offy. So the faces, uh, you know, they dominate this thing. Uh, the heels get a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of offense in. You can see that Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in the 30 seconds he's in this match is far and away the best, most talented wrestler in this match and one of the most talented in the company. The baby faces win in three minutes. It's a, it's a superstars match, buddy. I don't know if I'm going to sit here and rate everyone. Honestly, they're all like one to two stars. Yeah. You know, it's a superstars match. Let's just, let's just yeah. blow through this. Not blow through but yeah, it, but com- like, yeah. Yeah, commentary was uh, was the highlight to me, and it's it's very interesting to see CV Offy in a pushed position, getting the lead match in WWF Superstars. Yeah, honestly, like for the life of me, I do not remember this person at all. Yeah, I, I think because uh, I well, I was born in '87. I watched like everything on VHS from like WrestleMania one on everything I could, you know. But yeah, he wasn't really pushed in the mid to late '80s that hard. I I haven't seen much CV Offy in my life either, my friend. There's another guy on the show who's who's even more obscure in my opinion. I barely knew he existed. But uh, so next we go, and this was wild and crazy. We talked to Gene Okerlund, who is. Cuts to a <laughs> cuts to a video package of the returning superstar Billy Graham. We see superstar Billy Graham doing curls in the gym, set to "Bad to the Bone," I believe, by George Thorogood. Just hilarious! Just superstar Billy Graham just pumping that iron, and then he cuts a promo on Big John Stud, while tarantulas walk all over his body and face. 
and he's just talking about the scorpions and the tarantulas, brother. And this was the corniest, craziest thing I've ever seen. And it closes with five seconds of Jungle Boy's theme, Tarzan Boy. That's how they throw it to commercial. This segment blew my mind. What did you think about this, buddy? Dude, I've watched this and I'm like, man, this is an expensive segment nowadays, just in terms of money on the music. <laughs> Two licensed tracks that I'm sure WWF just stole in the 80s. But, yeah, wild, crazy. But it was crazy. It's just like I just did it. It, it seemed like, you know, a David Lynch wrote this. Like it just like was so <laughs> weird. The snakes and the scorpions. Yeah, it was just absolutely insane. If you do nothing else, load this show up on YouTube. It's there with the old songs and some old commercials. And you got to check out this little two-minute promo. It's just batshit. It's just batshit. Next up, we have the Heart Foundation, Brett and the Anvil, with Jimmy, mouth from the South Heart, versus Coco Beware and Paul Roma. What a team. What a tandem. This is Coco Beware's WWF debut. And uh, so Jesse Ventura gets a pretty racist crack in there. He gets his, would, would become his typical buckwheat joke to Coco Beware. That also debuted on this show, unfortunately. It was a little strange to have Coco debut as the losing member of a tag team, but they really had Paul Roma do the selling and the bumping. Coco hit a couple drop kicks and then came in at the end and hit a couple more drop kicks. So they put Coco over in defeat. It was just a strange way to debut him. Yeah, agreed. But this match actually wasn't too bad. Um, man, like it's it's crazy to watch how like just sound Brett was throughout his career. Oh my God! Already, much like Steamboat in the previous match, you yeah. can see that Bret Hart was a, was a cut above the other wrestlers yes. in this match. Even Coco, who was pretty good, dude. That's exactly it. It's like Bret just seemed like he was slowing himself down to help the other guys get through the match. Like it was crazy. Um, but Coco Beware, like I, I, I. I... I don't want to say that he was ever a bad wrestler or I ever thought he was a bad wrestler, but he, he this, like, he had, like, as short as this match was, pretty impressive uh, showing for his debut. Absolutely. Yeah, it was one minute and 51 seconds, and it, it they did enough in this that not only did they further the Danny Davis is a crooked referee storyline, uh, they also got over Coco Beware and the Hart Foundation. Yep. So it was a pretty strong two minutes minus Jesse Ventura's open racism on yeah. commentary. That's that. Yeah. Unfortunately, that is the 80s. And, uh, you know, but yeah, so uh, that was a pretty solid two minute match. Uh, I believe it was. Yeah. Heart attack on Paul Roma, who got his ass kicked for the majority of this two minutes. So next we have Ken Resnick, random backstage goofball. They've had a ton in WWF history. He uh, runs down the upcoming Boston Garden show. And we see my boy, one of the, the all-time goats, my opinion, the goat professional wrestler, Randy Macho Man Savage, comes out, cuts an awesome promo about how he won the gold in Boston six months ago and how he's going to kick the piss out of the half-wit animal, George the Animal Steel. Yep, yep, this was great. I freaking, he's such a good promo. It's insane. Like, man, if, 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 if these, you can, yeah, it was so good. You can literally just Google YouTube any just just throw Randy Savage Savage promo into YouTube and you'll get entertained for hours like you can click on anyone and there'll be a little nugget there'll be something in there that you'll laugh at that you'll love Macho Man is one of the greats not only in the ring but outside yeah even this when was he, a trip 
Yeah, Go even ahead. when his promos are batshit crazy, he does something to like make everything like memorable, for lack of a better term, like something that you'll remember. Yes, yeah, exactly right. Like he tries really hard to have some kind of something that'll stick in your head, some kind of grabber yeah. in every single promo, some yeah. earworm. Um, yes, exactly. Here's he. This was a trip, and this kind of made me want to stick with superstars and watch it throughout until the turn happens. Although I'm not going to do that. But you know what we got here, Boris, is a baby face honky tonk man promo. The rarest of the rare. Honky tonk man is a fiery white meat good guy who calls out Paul Orndorff in the good name of his friend Hulk Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> and Isn't that crazy? <laughs> crazy the way this goes is hulk hogan actually endorses honky tonk man a couple of times on tv and they're really trying to push him as a baby face and i wonder if it was real or if the entire the intention all along was that the crowd turned on this guy immediately yeah. they were like who is this fucking elvis wannabe jack off so they did uh they did a fan vote where fans wrote in and it was, do you approve of the honky tonk man? It was like a, a, a whole angle that played on, played out over the course of a couple months on WWE TV. And then they read the votes and nobody voted pro honky tonk man. Poor they, it was something like 600,000 votes and 590,000 were anti honky. And then he turned heel immediately and basically won the IC title yeah. like a month later. Poor Poochie. <laughs> oh, definitely. Going back to his home planet. <laughs> Yeah, honky talk man died on his way back to his own planet. <laughs> no, but like but yeah, you know, so and this, this is off the heels of the big event, you know. So this is like Paul Orndorff in probably his like uh, most prominent role. Um, so yeah, like Definitely. yeah, this was this was interesting times. I honestly forgot that honky talk man came in as a face. Like I kind of came in. I knew that in passing, but I forgot like you know day to day. It's such an interesting angle to watch now because regardless of whether it was the plan or not, it's so interesting because if it was their plan to start him as such an annoying baby face that the crowd turns on him and then make him a really strong heel, that's brilliant. And if they were dumb enough to think that this would actually make him a good baby face, but then they had the foresight to actually come up with this great idea to turn him heel, that's still brilliant too. So regardless of how they got there, this is a this is a great angle. This was very entertaining, interesting pro wrestling. And it's just crazy to see now because WWF would never, ever, especially in two months, go, hey, I think we were wrong. We should pivot. Or they would never come up with a story so brilliant in the first place well here's the thing i was literally going to bring this up and say like it's funny 35 years ago what wwf does versus 35 years well now what they do in terms of listening to the crowd whether they were listening to them or not right like the fact that they had a plan for this or the fact that they actually listened to the crowd just goes to show you how different times are in terms of you know them uh, putting on what they think we want, what they think we like, versus them putting on what we actually want to see. A million percent, man. It's it's really, truly sad what wrestling has become versus when they had to, for their own survival, listen to the fans and cater to the paying customer versus now where they just are a company that prints money and they Here's can do the whatever thing, they Matt, want. You said it right there. I think the times that WWF was at its best was when they were on the heels, when they were like, you know, 
will they survive, yes or no? Let's look at like to two examples. Um, when WWF like went full national, and then again when WCW was around. Like those were the two times when WWF was like on the brink, right? So they had to do yeah. everything they did. Now they're printing money. Now they 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 they, they fart money like they don't need to do anything to get money so what's their motivation in listening to the fans and giving us what we want exactly and they they don't even they don't even care to try to do they don't even pretend to they don't listen no they really anyway so let's continue on to the second wrestler who i have almost no uh memory of Billy Jim's cousin Luke. So Billy Jim and cousin Luke, not to be confused with the Bushwhackers Luke. Different Luke. Hillbilly Jim and cousin Luke versus two daubers, Ron Shaw and Pete. Uh, Hillbilly Jim wins with a bear hug in a minute and 46. Uh, I guess this was Hillbilly Jim's return after a long absence. Uh, cousin Luke did not last very long. He was uh, along with Uncle Elmer in the Hillbilly Jim family. Yeah, I had no memories of Cousin Luke. I think it's the first time I've ever seen him wrestle. I do remember Cousin Luke. I don't I don't know how, but I do remember him. Interesting, yeah. Uh, do you have much memory of the Hillbilly Jim? I've seen Uncle Elmer, like, once on WrestleMania yeah. 6 or so. Or, sorry, yeah. WrestleMania 2 from 86. I, I do remember. Like, I do have some memory. Like, it's just, but not, like, uh, yeah, it's it's nothing that I can, like, if, unless, if you if you didn't bring it up, I wouldn't have remembered. But right, yeah, exactly. Uh, fair enough. All right, so, uh. Goofball Resnick supposed to interview the British Bulldogs, but who should interrupt but Fred Blassie and the Doctor of Style Slick, who is pretty new to the WWF in September 1986. Uh, Blassie refers to the machines as something racist. Um, they're they're masked, but it was still racist. They're they're playing Japanese characters, and uh, yeah, this was a bad promo. Yeah. Uh, moving on. Speaking of uh, racist characters in WWF, the Ugandan head Hunter Kamala with King Curtis Ayakea and Kim Chi. I will say that for 1980s, Kamala was over, man. People were like scared of this guy and he beat the shit out of jobbers. He would go on to do, he won with a big splash. He would go on to do this big splash off the top rope and they would routinely do stretcher jobs for the jobbers that he would kill with this top rope splash. Similar to Psycho Sid in the late 80s in WWE, or sorry, late 80s in WCW and early 90s in WWF as well. He would do stretcher jobs for these jobbers all the time. I think that's a that's a definite way to get somebody yep, over, 100%. like immediately. WWF needs to do that soon. Yeah. Yep. Stretcher jobs. Maybe they should do that for Parker Bordeaux when he comes in. Yeah. And you know he's coming in this week. You know he's coming in next week. Anyway, we'll talk about that another day. Yes. So yeah, uh, Kamala, your mileage is going to vary on him as a wrestler and a character, but they put him over really, really strongly. He was building up for a run with Hulk Hogan, and they actually had a couple uh, halfway decent brawls, considering it's Hulk Hogan versus Kamala in 1986 and 7. Next up, a homophobic segment, the flower shop with Roddy Piper. Uh, makes a couple pretty homophobic con uh, comments to Adrian Adonis, say, makes a couple fat jokes at him. And then, Boris, we have for the first time probably on WWF TV, in 1986, we have talk about ratings. We have television ratings talk in a promo. Roddy Piper brings a sheet of paper 
and reads the ratings for the previous uh, WWF shows and says that the flower shop is the least rated segment on WWF TV routinely and Piper's pit will be taking over next week. That's amazing. I love that. Why are, why are wrestlers, wrestling fans, wrestling angles so obsessed with ratings? Cyclical, buddy. One is old is new again. I about yeah. shit my pants when they started talking about ratings in 1986. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, this, a, but it just goes to show you how brilliant, how freaking brilliant Piper was. Oh, man. Piper was incredible. When he was lucid and, like, making sense and, like, concise, too, he was amazing. But, yeah, this I shouldn't was, laugh, uh, but, weird... yes, I know what you mean. <laughs> this was a weird segment, but Adrian Adonis was kind of great in it especially his meltdown at the end adrian adonis was a special talent man you know, people don't realize how special that guy was he was know, an incredible pro wrestler you know what my first wrestling lg ljn toy ever was uh, it was adorable adrian yep nice that's I, I had a bunch of those those figures too that's hilarious uh all right next i think i think i might be wrong about this but i think this was the first appearance of the rougeau brothers Versus Bob Bradley and Mike Fever. What a great jobber name Mike Fever is. But yeah, so uh, this was uh, pretty standard. The French commentary uh, team gets on the mic. They actually cut to the French commentary team. I think they said something like, uh, I forget exactly what they said. I got like a coup de pied uh, de uh, les, uh, les Rougeaux. And then they said like a échange rapide, which is like a quick exchange. They, they just got a couple things in there. I didn't catch too much of it. My French is very rusty. But uh, they cut back to Jesse Ventura. Vince, uh, could you translate for that for us, Jesse? And he just, right off the hop, Jesse was like, well, I believe Edward said that he wasn't very impressed with these French Canadians. It's just really <laughs> funny. Jesse's delivery was classic on it. But uh, yeah, so the Rujo brothers win with their assisted flipping holdy hand senton thing. I don't know what you would call it, but uh, Raymond gets on the top rope. Jacques flips him over and they hit a senton the for the win. The cannonball. Yes, the assisted Rougeau cannonball for the win at 156. This is pretty good squash. The Rougeaus look pretty good here. They were also hardcore white meat baby faces yeah. on this show. Yeah. I love the Rougeaus. I really always liked the Rougeaus. Same. Baby what, whatever, face or heel. Whatever form um, Pierre was, I just loved it. <laughs> baby face, heel, Raymond, Pierre, uh, PCO. He wasn't a... Uh, well, Rougeau brother, but he's an honorary Rougeau brother. Yep. And uh, yeah, I million, million percent agree. Quebecer, no Quebecer. I love every iteration of Rougeau. Amazing French, Canadian, whatever it is. Yep. Yep. Don't ask, so uh, don't ask uh, Kevin Steen what he thinks of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only man in Canada who is anti Jacques Rougeau. Actually, I'm sure we could find a few more in Quebec. Davy boy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Brett kid. Hurt, after all them cattle prods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so we're showing a replay of last week's Flower Shop segment with Bobby Heenan and Captain Lou and the Machines leading to King Kong Bundy and Big John Studd versus Corporal Kirshner and SD Jones Boris, the main event of the first Superstars episode. Another trivia question. Uh, it might surprise you to note that King Kong Bundy pins SD Jones with an avalanche in two minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, you know, it was a terrible match. It was objectively a terrible match, but it was putting over the big men in, in order to put over the future match with the big machines. Super Machine and Big Machine, I believe, will be the tag team facing. They, are, they also had Giant Machine in there. 
They had Hulk machine. The machines were a fun gimmick. It was basically anytime the heels were, uh, you know, being being rude to this tag team, they would recruit a new big baby face and yeah. they would put the machine mask on them. And it was very clear who it was. But yeah, I don't know. It was, it was an interesting gimmick. I, I think they could bring back the machines in some form, a gimmick like this, and it would probably work in WWE to some degree. Oh yeah, right. Like this is the thing. It's 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 cheesy enough that it just works. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. It's just it's simple, wacky pro wrestling fun. So yeah, they cut uh, to a machines promo at the end of the show. Sounded like big machine. I think it was was Axe from Demolition. I believe. I'm not sure who Super Machine was off the top of my head, but by voice, it seemed like the machine on the right, which I believe was Big Machine, sounded a lot like Axe from Demolition. Yep. I I I I, uh, I uh, skipped this to be honest. <laughs> That's totally fine. Anyway, a wacky, crazy show. The first episode of WWF Superstars. Definitely, if you're going to watch it out, seek out that uh, Superstar Billy Graham promo. Seek out Babyface Honky Tonk Man. And also Babyface Rougeau Brothers. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy where rest, like, where, you know, you kind of forget because, like, in your mind, your nostalgia, your memory always kicks in and remembers, like, you know, whether these guys were heels or faces at their height, as opposed to how they started, how they ended, and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I, you completely forget. Like, wow, like fiery white meat baby face honky tonk man. What a trip! What a trip! Yep, exactly. So that's superstars, episode one. Yeah, it was fun. Probably not going to be doing many more Superstars reviews, but it was it was good to, to look back 35 years ago this week to the first episode of WWF Superstars. Trust me. So I yeah, next we'll... week on the show... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I think we're going to want to review Superstars once we start reviewing 20 years of TNA. Oh my God. Oof. Yeah, that's coming May 2022. Little, te- little teaser for y'all. But uh, yeah, so next week we're going to do Ring of Honor TV. We're going to do Ring of Honor Death before dishonor 28 i believe it is and uh i don't know we might have some kind of retro show for you as well but we're gonna have at least those two things yep exactly and also because you are if you're coming from the snme radio feed you are a patron so make sure that you listen to the midweek market with jason and mark you got the last episode of the uncle h era of nxt talk you have the midweek or sorry you have the old fucks uh, all elite weekly coming out tomorrow you have the smack daddies and the old um old fucks review of rampage on saturday you have the main show on sunday every day you have a wrestling show if you're coming from the bam feed thank you so much for listening we appreciate everyone everyone's ears for this hour and a half as we ramble about sports and or entertainment he's matt i'm boris goodbye yeah, I, I, I.